Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast. It's Sunday night, it's time to crack a beverage of choice and sit back and relax and listen to a bunch of nerds crow about a bunch of stuff that is related to classic heavy metal. Um, This week, my beverage of choice, I actually didn't drink a Holy Mountain beer this week. This is probably my favorite brewery in Washington, uh, Chuck and Nut. They are have an awesome name for a brewery, for one, and they uh, are up in Bellingham and they are a lager-centric brewery. Um, this is their latest release. It's a coffee dunkel, and it is phenomenal. It's so good. It's super clean. It's just got that little hint of coffee, but it's present. But it still tastes, tastes like a classic German dunkel. You can see I've got a proper German glass here. If you're watching it, you can see. If you're just listening, you probably can't, but whatever. If you're not watching, too bad. Um, yeah, so welcome back to the podcast. I'm Darren Wall, and my co-host, Rev Taylor. How you doing, brother? Doing well. You know, it's the end of the weekend, which is always a little bit sad, but you know, it's also good because we get to do this podcast. So Hell yeah, man. It's yeah. definitely a way to kind of forget about the fact that we're going back to the grind tomorrow. Um, yeah. But so this week, um, we have, as usual, it'll be the same format. We'll have, we're going to do a deep dive into an album. We're going to have our picks of the week, and then we're going to have a topic to have more of a freeform discussion about at the end of the show. And this week, we have the brand new album from a band that was not really on my radar before. I listened to this album, a band called Midnight Spell, and their new album, Sky Destroyer. Um, a little bit about this band, uh, they formed in 2017, so they're brand new. Like They've only been around a couple of years. They're coming out of Miami, Florida. Um, they're on Iron Oxide Records, which is run by um, producer, um, manager, and all-around cool heavy metal guy, Mark Gabriel. Um, one of the, I've met him a couple times, one of the coolest at festivals and stuff, one of the coolest guys you can meet that's kind of involved in the scene. Um, they only have one demo out that they put out in 2019 before this. And I think some of these, um, some of these songs came from that one as well and were redone for this full length. Um, I'm not totally certain, but this came out in January um, of 2021, which is this year. Um, this is a real classic metal album. Like it's a, if you think like pure, true heavy metal, this is, you know, the, the thing you, you're going to hear when you, you like it comes to mind when you think of that. Um, there's like, I hear lots of Saxon, New Wave of British Heavy Metal, um, your Maiden Priest kind of thing. There's elements of like Dawkins too and some hair metal stuff. It's, yeah, it's got a little bit of a hair metal kind of snarl to it. Um, and a little bit of a, a bit of a more raw aesthetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much just, uh, you know, there's no keyboards or anything that I could pick up on. And, and there's a lot of, you know, shouted gang vocals and, uh, it's got a really kind of uh, beer-soaked dive bar kind of feel to it, which I totally, like. Totally, man. I, 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 the, the word youthful came to mind when I heard this record. It sounds like a, it's a really, I don't know how old these guys are, but it's a very youthful sounding album. There's a lot of energy and enthusiasm on it. Another band that reminded me of a striker from Edmonton. Like there's yeah. definitely some moments where they're, especially like an older striker where I could hear uh a lot of that, especially in like the vocal melodies and stuff, it's like a little less slick, like you said, more raw than Strikers. Strikers are a very slick band. Um, so but some of, some of the, the ethos and the kind of uh, the feeling of it and the attitude is kind of similar. I, I definitely get that. 
Yeah, Something so, I thought is interesting about this from my reading, it seems like this is a drummer-led uh, project. Okay. Um, this guy, Brian Wilson. Um, who not the was, Beach Boy. <laughs> not the Beach Boy. No, not that Brian Wilson. Um, it does kind of raise the question, you know, if your last name is Wilson, why would you? But anyway, um, <laughs> but it, it's a music name with some, some pedigree. I guess we can get it that way um, as far as music production and everything. But anyway, this Brian Wilson gentleman's got what looks to be a pretty deep resume you know he, he pictures of me looks like a pretty young guy but uh metal encyclopedia says he's played with ingbe yeah um, in the past so uh he's got some some credits to his name and it's it is a pretty prominent drum sound on the album totally. which absolutely that's um, yeah the, the drums are treated really really well production wise on this record um there you could tell whoever recorded it or or possibly now that you mentioned that he kind of is the band leader um somebody somebody or everybody involved in the drum recording on this on this album knew what the hell they were doing <laughs> because that kick drum sounds huge um all the all the toms cut through which you know drives me nuts sometimes when you hear records and the toms there's a crazy feel going on you can't really make it out um and the cymbals sound great too um i really thought that the percussion aspect of the production was really well done so now you bring that yeah. up it makes sense yeah yeah it, it's it's definitely once i knew that it kind of clicked because it, it's got a real drum centered kind of sound which is great i mean the, the the one thing i like about uh his drumming and the way it was recorded is it's got a really kind of deep uh thick tone to all of the drums i feel like these days you hear so much drumming that's like really accentuating all the treble parts of the the sound profile like you get all the cymbals and like the little toms and really poppy snare and more of the trigger bass drum sound of course that everyone complains about but this is very much a um a, a drum tone focused sound like the toms really sound great and the snare is a pretty uh a pretty deep kind of throaty sounding snare yeah it's not uh, light and poppy um I, I i'm a fan of the production for the most part on this record um it's definitely them playing, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of, it doesn't sound to, if, they, if there's a lot of edits on this record, um, the guy did a good job editing because it doesn't sound like there is. It sounds right. like it's yeah. quite stripped down. They're not hiding behind anything. These dudes can all play, you know, they, they're all, everybody's really good. Um, the guitar tone and the bass tone, I wasn't crazy about. I think it's just a personal thing. Um, I wish the bass had a little more punch to it. It's, yeah. it's a really, warm round sound and it's it's very present and it's it's mixed in quite well and you could hear what he's doing and he's a very talented bass player but i just don't think the tone um does him any favors it kind of does a lot of what i call like honking you know like sometimes like when there's a fill comes up rather than like a deep like punchy you know bass note it kind of like goes and it kind of has like a honky Mm. kind of sound to it um i mean like it honks not like a white guy sound <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> but it, it's uh so i don't know that that's a personal thing um i wish it i wish that there was maybe a little bit of a com little bit of compression a little more mids in the sound same kind of thing with the guitars the guitars sound pretty scooped um and they're a little bit hollow but it's not to a point where it, it bothers me it just, it's just not know, a real problem but i i see what you're saying because for me i just like yeah, the, the strings just didn't stand out quite as much. It was very much a, a like the drums and the vocals were the most charismatic parts of this Certainly. album. And Which kind of, I mean, for me, it kind of works because I'm, you know, I'm a vocalist and that's always the first thing I notice. But I also feel like drums are like my secret shadow instrument 
that mm-hmm. I like wish I could play like somewhere in me. There's definitely a drummer wanting to get out. Yeah. Well, you know well, me, I'm a, I'm a t- bit of a tone nerd and a bit of a studio nerd. So I just, yeah, like I said, I, I wish the, I wish there was a bit more mids and a bit more, but it's a tough thing. You know, I mean, when mixing records, people won't realize that they'll listen to a production and say this, it's easy to go. Oh, yeah. There's no mids in this. Well, you know, there is, it's not easy to mix a record and f- walk that fine line between um, having a thick sound and having good separation of the instruments. There's only so much on the sound spectrum that you can fill up and only so many things you can hit in order to thicken up that sound. But yet in metal, it's very important. It's not like this is a doom album, right? Like in a doom album, you kind of want to make like a wall of sound where it's just really big and huge. And same, same kind of with death metal. You know, you're kind of creating like the atmosphere you want to create is big and massive. But with this kind of playing, there's like lots of intricacies. Melody is very important. Um, you want all the different parts to pop. And if you cram, I, I like mids to make the sound thicker. You know, that's kind of like what thickens up the sound. And, but if you put too much of that in, it all starts to get a little blurry. Mm-hmm. That being said, on this album, I believe if they, you know, just play it, spend a little more time with the guitar tone, thicken it up a bit, same with the bass tone, maybe a little compression and, dial up the mids and the bass, make it a little punchier. It would have really made the album a lot stronger sounding. But again, this is a nitpicky thing and it didn't bother me so much. It was just something that I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they are kind of, if if the drums are kind of the hero instrument of the album, then that it does mean it gives it a bit of a unique flair that so many metal albums are so guitar focused. Yes. Um, especially in traditional metal. So oh, it's interesting dude. to hear like other instruments foregrounded a little bit. And it does give them a, maybe a bit of a unique, um, memorable quality that, that not every band's going to have. Um, yeah. And I have to say, I appreciate that it, even if, it, if it's a drummer hero album, it's, it's pretty subtle. Like the tone is really good and he's, he's super tight, but it's not flashy. Um, no, he's, it's not an ego trip at all no this sounds like somebody who's listened to a lot of vinnie apathy to me yep and that's that's pretty that's some pretty astute observation i think so um yeah it's but yeah overall like the production is i like it it's it's pretty raw it's pretty stripped down it's not overly fancy um for the style i think it's very appropriate um i'd like i would like to see them in the future hopefully if, if, if good things happen for these guys which i hope they will um they'll be able to get a big bit of a bigger budget for another record and, you know, just kind of just add a few bells and whistles and beef the production up a little bit, but that's kind of neither here nor there. That's in the future. This is the first record, you know, I'm pretty sure they put it out themselves. Um, so yeah, let's kind of dive into this thing, man. Um, so the first track is blood for blood and it's a good, it's a good choice for an opener. I think really comes out of the gate swinging. Um, it's got, it's really, it's really, it's a fun track. It's, one of those ones makes you want to drive fast, makes you want to run fast. Um, it's a class, it's classic metal. I really like the cymbal work on this one that the drummer did. Like, I think there was like some really cool, um, some really cool cymbal stuff going on and it's recorded really well. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was a cool, um, cool album. Singing wise, the vocal melody is really catchy. Um, really good vocal performance. Um, some, some of the notes I thought were a little, uh, we're missed by a little bit, maybe a little pitchy, maybe a little sharper flat, um, especially on like the higher notes. Um, but he's, he's definitely one of these singers that likes a lot of like extra motion. Like, uh, you know, like, what am I trying to say? Like, 
blood for blood. There's a lot of like moving around, scooping up, sliding down from notes as an expressive thing. And so sometimes uh, when that happens, you sometimes like end up hearing a weird part of the pitch. Um, Yeah. I got a a little bit of that too, but but in general, like, you know, it's definitely, you hear him, you hear this guy's voice and it's definitely one of those eyebrow raising. Like, okay, we've got a voice here. Like this guy had some pipes and it's, it's immediately obvious um, that this guy's a, a real talent. Um, I believe Paulo Vasquez is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can hear that there's definitely an, an accent of, I'm guessing some, he's probably a Spanish speaker to begin with, um, but I don't know his background, but um, you, can, you can hear a little bit of that, but it's not a problem. Um, no. You can still understand a lot of what he has to say. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely like a, that kind of like a little bit of a hair metal, um, almost like David Lee Roth kind of, kind of like <laughs> a little bit more of a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a narrow, tight kind of bluesier sound that, that you might expect to hear a little bit more in, uh, it's a very 80s sound, I'll say. I mean, sure. something you might expect to hear more in, in hair metal than power metal. But yeah. really, we've got a blend of a lot of these metal styles here, so. And, and the, like the, the slightly pitchy notes, it's not, again, this is like me kind of like nitpicking. I mean, I don't know if I wasn't like really listening intently. I don't even know if I would have noticed. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that, you know, if he, could, if he couldn't get that note, I mean, maybe it's done on purpose too. I don't know. But um, maybe um, if you can't, if you didn't get that note, I mean, I'm glad that they didn't go and like auto tune it and make it all digital um, you know, he, they just kind of let it hang out there, right? And it's just one of those things where I'm, me listening to it, I'm like, ah, I kind of wish they got a better take of that, but yeah. it's not, it's, it, it doesn't wreck the song at all. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just a little something in there that, you know, and like I said, they're a young band and these are the details that are probably going to come later on when it comes, you know, as they get used to recording albums and stuff. But overall, this song, I, this song fucking rocks, dude. I, I think yeah. it's great. Um, I was just looking up the guy. I think it's actually Paulo Velasquez, not Vasquez. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to put a correction out there in case you're out there, Paulo. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. It, it was, it's an effective opener for sure. I don't know that it's the most memorable song on the album, really, but it's a good introduction. Yeah. Um, and then next we get Between the Eyes, which I think is the title of the, the previous demo. Okay. Um, same song. Um, so it's sort of like, I, I think this might've been like the lead single kind of thing. And it, this is definitely one of those, like, we're going to rock you songs. Yeah. It's like a metal song about heavy metal and how much I'm playing live. We're going to come into town and kick your ass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, this one definitely worked for me. I, it's, it's a lot of fun, really upbeat song. Um, I like the part where uh, before the bridge, the, the singer introduces the guitarist whose name is the hammer by going hammer <laughs> yeah okay that's what he was doing i, I was confused <laughs> by what he when he said that i was like why did he just like yell hammer did he just find it like he was just looking for the hammer while he was like in the studio I was like there it is i left it underneath that guitar case over there hammer <laughs> yeah. Yeah, according to metal archives uh the guitars are played by someone named the hammer oh. so um I, I wonder if it says that on his, on his driver's license i hope I would so. be impressed if it did and I think that, you know, they should keep going with that. And why not just like do that before some more guitar solos? Like, yeah, it's make cool. that the, the trademark. That way, if you're listening to a band, you're like, oh, here's some like old school heavy metal. Who is this? Like, who could that be? And then the singer goes, hammer! And you're like, oh, it's Midnight Spell. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, they, 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 this was a cool tune. It's, it's a nice, fast, upbeat, high energy, again, very youthful track. Um, I know their demo definitely uh, raised a lot of eyebrows from what I was kind of reading. I, it missed me when it came out. Um, I did, I just didn't hear it. Um, I don't, honestly, like, I don't, I'm not much of a, we'll, we'll get into this later, but I'm just not much of a demo guy. Like if someone hands yeah. me something and calls it a demo, I'm probably not going to listen to it. Right. Um, I'm like, I'll just call me, call me when you get the finished thing. I don't care about your fucking demo. Right. Like, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a record label person. So. No, exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to put your album out. So why are you giving me a demo? Right. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so that's that one. Um, then we get into Lady of the Moonlight, which I didn't see this coming. Um, it's a bit of a poppier, like sunset strip kind of tune. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that this one is one of the tracks that did not work for me. It, it didn't. It didn't really work for me either. And but it's not because of the song itself. Um, I actually like songs like this a lot. I probably have a bit more of a penchant for these kind of a song, songs than you do. Yeah. Um, I think it's a cool. I think it's a cool song. Um, it's way popular. Um, uh, it's just not overly well executed. Um, yeah. To me, that that's the thing. I think the song is very. Well, I think it's a great riff. Um, I think there's a, it's a cool, um, I like the, the lyrics, even though it's happy sounding, the lyrics are a little melancholy, um, to, 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 uh, to go with it. Um, they're not it like, to me like they were kind of trying to graft like a sunset strip, uh, hair metal thing with like a more of a cult kind of I thought that was an interesting approach at the yeah. very least. I don't know if it worked or not, but at the very least it wasn't like, you know, songs about cruising down the strip and picking up chicks or whatever. Fuck, you know. Right. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting idea. It's just that I think the the melodies and the transitions in this particular song just didn't quite sound as good to me, and I just didn't. It's it didn't the, click. Yeah, I mean, part of it is um, I I don't want to sound like I'm picking on a fucking bass player here, but part of it is that bass tone when the yeah. rhythm guitar drops out and there's a melody over top of that bass tone. That bass it sounds real flat. It just it. The, the energy of the song kind of dies off and it, it needs if you're gonna if you're gonna as a bassist and if you're gonna sit there and like ride one or two notes with a little bit of whatever just over the drums and there's gonna be like a guitar harmony or nothing dude you, that, that that shit's gotta sound slamming it's gotta be really punchy it's gotta be really big or it just kind of falls flat and those are the parts that kind of you know uh, I remember I hear the riff I'm like oh this is catchy and then like it goes to some part with the harmony and like yeah there's just this kind of uh, really um, mute mute kind of flat bass tone underneath it it just loses me it's just the this is these kind of songs this is the interesting thing this is a very simple song um, but sometimes songs like this that are very simple are very difficult to execute um, yeah. because there's less going on so what you have going on you have to make sure that all of it is right that it sounds right, that it's on time, that it's well executed. You have to, and you have to think about how you're going to do it. Um, yeah. And to me, it seems like these guys are more of like a live band. You know, like I, the thing that I heard in this record, and you know, we talked, we touched, you and touched on it first. The one thing I wrote in my notes is I said I want to see this band live. That was like the first thing I wrote when I was like a minute and a half into Blood for Blood. I was like, I want to see this band live in a fucking sweaty, smoky club. Like that's what yeah. I want to see, and I bet that would be an awesome time. But it's yeah, definitely song, what it sounds like it's it's intended to do. Correct, and, and I believe and songs like this, um, when when you have kind of that just we play live approach, it doesn't translate so well. These songs require a little bit more planning, 
execution. I mean, you, you remember, like, we were in the studio, like, the song I struggled with the most uh, in bass was our song Halls of Insanity, which is probably, like, the simplest bass line I have in the entire record. It's right. just, like, it's straight, like, eighth notes. And, but, God, I'm like, dude, this, this has to be perfect. If I don't nail this with the drums, if I don't get these transitions right, if I don't have all these these hits right on time, the song's not going to work because that's a very simple song. There's a lot of layers, but it's one tempo the whole time. It's one key the whole time. You know, there's not a lot of fancy shit going on. So everything has to be fucking nailed. Like, and that's the issue with this tune is that everything isn't a hundred percent on point with the yeah. execution. I think it's well written, but the execution just comes up a little short. It's one of those where I, I feel bad. Like I probably shouldn't, criticize it too specifically just because it didn't really work for me but kind of what that ended up meaning was just that I didn't listen to it as carefully and I, I kind of put more, more of my focus towards the songs I liked better and listen to them more yeah that's, that's that's a good approach I think I think I, I I wanted to like this song but it just didn't click for me because of execution yeah I mean when I heard the first riff I was like oh dude this is this is gonna be right up my alley and then it just didn't click so you know when it didn't I had to like go back and figure out why yeah, and some of the vocals, the harmonies and some of the vocal stuff, I don't know if it was a tuning thing or... They're a little off. What, but it just didn't quite sound as on point to me. And maybe some of it's that it's exposed and has a little bit more of a major key kind of thing going on, which, mm -hmm. as, as I can testify, is a little bit harder to tune right. Um, it almost felt to me like it, the harmony needed more layers to it. Yeah. Like, if, if, if it seems like there's maybe only two or three. If it had, like, five, you know, it probably would have been sounded a little more Freddie Mercury and it would have been awesome. Like, right. <laughs> that's, that's why those strike, those uh, striker harmonies, not to just, not to try to compare these two bands so much, but it seems like they're trying to go for that kind of like glam metal meets speed metal vibe, meets trap yeah. metal. And striker's harmonies work because that dude does like six of them each time and they're super slick and they're super well executed. Yeah. And that's why they work. And the same like on our record, like you're, you spent a lot of time on those harmonies, you know, like if, if you're going to do hard, if you're going to do a harmonized vocal part, like that's going to stand out and everyone's going to notice. So it has to be on point. And here, unfortunately, um, they're not. Um, but like I said, I, I'd like to see this band try more songs like this because I think it's a good song, but it just needs a little bit and it'll probably come with experience, but it just needs a little bit more attention paid to how you're going to pull it off. You know what I think some of that is with the harmonies is that with a, you know, we, this guy's a really expressive singer. And so my guess is each time he sings a line, it's going to sound unique and a little bit different than other times because he, he adds these little mm. details. But for harmonies, you can't really do that. You have to like strip away all of the, the like expressions and, and the like any weird little pitch adjustments in the harmony and you have to just sing it straight if they're going to stack properly. Um, anyway, it is anyone who's ever sung in a choir knows you can't get to individual in a choir part because it's going to throw the whole thing off. Um, so that's one, one thing it's important to know as a vocalist is the difference between the, the parts you're going to harmonize and the parts you aren't because the parts you're not harmonizing, you have a lot more freedom than the parts yeah. that you are. Oh, that makes sense. That, yeah, I, that, that's, that makes total sense. Um, cause yeah, it, it was weird. It, it was when I listened to them, like they sounded off, but I couldn't tell why, you know, it was like. I, I, usually if you hear something, I hear something that's awful, oh, it's sharp, it's flat, it's this, it's whatever. But I was like, it sounds kind of like the right note, but it's like the right note is kind of dogfighting with itself for some reason. Right. Um, so it may, I think you might be right. Um, so next up is my favorite song on the record, which is Midnight Ride. Yeah, this um, one was good. 
This one, I love songs like this. It's under three minutes. It's concise. It's it gets to the point. It seems, I mean, but it tells the whole story in under three minutes. And yeah. the story from the lyrics, I think, I think it's about running from the cops. <laughs> it's like it's kind of what I got when I was listening to them because I was like, I don't know what it is, man. Ever since we did this podcast, I'm fucking paying attention to lyrics more, which is weird. I guess it's probably a good thing. Um, running from the law. Yeah, I'm there you go. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's. I, I just think this song, and this song just rips, man. It's a banger. It's yeah. like, it, 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 it's, it's one tempo the whole time. It comes in, it hits hard, it does what it needs to do. And it, and I think it's, it was smart to keep it short because if it went on, it might've gone a little repetitive, but yeah. at that, at that song length, it was like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's knowing that ver- brevity is definitely a virtue when it comes to like anything resembling speed metal. I know you, 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 you talk a lot about how much you love I speed at night. The DX yeah. from last in line. I got some of those vibes from this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, especially in the in the, in the, the Vinny episode comparison again. Yeah. Um, so that's another good point. Um, but yeah, this this was my favorite one on the whole album. I just thought this was a wicked tune, and it's it's a song that I've actually like. You know, once I was done, um, I was I revisited this song after my first listen a couple times just because. I thought it was just fucking rap. I mean, there's not a lot to it. There's, so there's not. I guess not too much to talk about, um, but it's just really well executed, really well done, and good job, boys. And it comes. The one thing that I really like about this record is this one and the next song. I think are perfectly placed on the album. Mm-hmm. Like this was a really good time to put it. Like kind of like you know, I guess it's number four, um, and it comes right after the kind of mid-paced poppy song, so it sounds super fast. Um, uh, it, it was just, it was just a, a good, good spot to put it and yeah, wicked tune. So good job guys. Yeah. Yeah. The Vinny Apathy thing, like you mentioned it when a drummer is really tight and when the tone is good, it's so satisfying just to hear just as a fill, you know? Yeah. That classic snare fill, dude. It's, it is, it's, it's something that it's one that every heavy metal drummer does. And I'm glad because it's just awesome. It's just, it's one of those ones where you, when they do it, you know something awesome is about to come. Right? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, here we go. Um, so then we get to the next one, uh, which is Mercy, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, a little instrumental. Again, well-placed, much better placed than the one on the Accept album that we talked about. Yeah, I was thinking the same time. thing. It's, it's the, the doing, the putting, the putting the instrumental kind of right at the boundary point between uh, side A and side B. I mean, that's what we did with our <laughs> guitar solo instrumental thing on our album and i think it's for good reason because it provides a nice break and kind of like a an intermission feel almost mm-hmm. um but i i really enjoyed this instrumental yeah it not sure a bit of diversity yeah um yeah i thought it got a little proggy even um i heard like little little parts of like uh death in there like not, not death metal but like the band death mm-hmm. um they, they they experimented with some stuff um yeah i mean and it works as an instrumental. Sometimes bands put out instrumentals and I go, why didn't they just have the guy sing over this? And I kind of felt that way with the except one that we talked about last week. I'm like, why didn't they just let motherfucker sing over this? Cause it's a rad song. This one, it works. You know, it, it's, I think it was a good call to make this instrumental. It really highlights the bass player. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to, I'm going to like sing this guy's praises a bit. Cause I don't want to think I'm picking on him. He really shines on this one. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of really tasty fills that come at cool times. Um, really intelligently placed. They go, they go, they go with what the drum's doing. Um, they fill in, they fill in little spaces where the guitar isn't really doing anything fancy. Um, so he, he really knocked it out of the park on this one. This is, this is a, this is a neat little song. 
And yeah, you it, it does come at the right time. I think if you're going to have an instrumental that's at the end of an album, it's got to be an epic, you yeah. know, kind of like uh, Call of Cthulhu. Um, yeah, I was thinking the same way. thing, like the, the Metallica yeah. thing. Yeah, um, like it's got to or it's got to be um, it's got to be there for a reason. Like I, my old band Entropia, we had a like a nine minute, not like eleven minute instrumental at the end of one of our albums, and it was a great closer. And it was like it like fades out and it kind of wraps the whole story up. Um, this one would have been bad at the end. Um, so it, yeah, uh, it would have gotten buried with a more subtle yeah. instrumental. If you put it at the end, it gets buried because people are just. You've got to put a strong statement at the end of an album, I think. Whether whether that's like a quieter, more contemplative ending, which tends to be the case if, it is, if it's an instrumental, or whether it's a like punch you in the face kind of ending, which is what this one ends up doing, and we'll get to that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a heavy metal instrumental. There's guitar solos, there's riffs, the drums sound great. So a yeah, little bit of metal church going on here too. Um, yeah. Kind of reminds me of that instrumental in the first Metal Church album, which is escaping me now. I don't know why I love that song. It's just the title's escaping me. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really it's really cool. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, the next song, I guess, is uh, the title track, Sky Destroyer. This is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, I really it's it's, it's it was a number two for me. Um, the drum intro's rad. You know, yeah. when like as, as soon as that started, I was like, okay, this is gonna be a cool tune, um, and it, it is. It's a it's a really and it, it, again, it comes out of this instrumental. This is why song placement on albums is so important. It's just, yeah. it's really well placed here. Like the drum, the drum intro kind of feels like it transitions out of that and then they go right into the song. I really liked the, the way they used the gang vocals on this one too. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very effective. It just really kept the energy up. And um, I like how kind of raw that sounds. Like they just, you know, it doesn't, it just sounds like a a little bit punk rock with just a couple guys. Destroyer, destroyer. It's cool. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a live song. You know, like it's this this one's gonna be um, a hell of a fucking uh, live live tune. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping people, uh, you know, grasp onto this one. And you know, and you know, like when we write songs, it's like, you know, dude, I can see when we're live, we're gonna do this. Like, I can see this one having like a cool, like maybe just like a drum kick drum breakdown part where they're like in the crowd chanting and clapping along and stuff. So there's lots of, uh, lots of um, room for live shenanigans in this song. Yeah. I think the thing I liked about this one is that to me, it really like had a bit more of a sense of scope. Like it's one of the most epic songs on the album. I guess it's, it it has a bit more of like a more power metal kind of feel and and a more, um, just a little bit more stadium worthy kind of feel like it's, I mean, not that it's not grounded in the, in the, like we talked about kind of the, the sweaty dive bar kind of sound because it is, but I think this one like is, is one of the most elevated kind of epic songs. And I, yeah. I think it's, it's a cool sort of theme and it's clearly like, it's a good choice for the title in part because of the cover art, which we haven't talked about, but is, is pretty dope. Yeah. I like uh, the cover art with like, it looks like some kind of, uh, I don't know. It could be some sort of storm monster or some kind of like almost Godzilla esque thing. Like there's this sort of, ghoul in space like reaching out with clawed hands and there's this like city being destroyed and yeah it definitely it caught my attention it's a part of why you know I, I i stopped on on youtube to be like oh let's check this one out and see if it would be a good one to, to review. yeah I, I agree and, then, and it was um, i'm glad i'm glad we did but yeah this could be an indication of where the writing could go yeah on the next one which is like like you said it's rooted in this this uh you know grassroots you know, live, high energy, youthful, heavy metal sound. 
but also with more dynamics and um, a little more storytelling, I guess. And, um, you know, take, taking the listener to a few different places just to keep yeah, it's, things it's a bit just, more interesting. It's got a little bit more of a, of a epic theme to it, even just with the title. It really, like, evokes imagery in a way that, like, Blood for Blood, Between the Eyes, Midnight Ride are a bit more, like, standard heavy metal kind of fare. This mm-hmm. one is just a little bit more uh, colorful in the title and the theme of it. Like, oh, there's a sky destroyer. What is it? It's a bit more like fantasy, I guess. And, of course, that tends to appeal to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I thought I, if I had a number two on the on the album, that that would be that would be the one. Um, yeah. I guess up next is a uh, Cemetery Queen. Um, I was a bit, I don't know. I, I guess I was mixed on this one. Um, I thought it was. A, I think I thought it was a cool idea, um, a cool song. I thought it was a good idea to put it here. Um, yeah, it's like a really moody, almost kind of doom and gloomy kind of song. It's a great change of pace, and I think just before like the album is starting to wrap up, it's a great idea to change it up here. Um, yeah. I just don't, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's an execution thing again. Um, it just didn't, this one didn't resonate with me as much. I think it's a great song concept and I see what they were going for. It just didn't really, it didn't really get me the way I was hoping it would. I liked it pretty well, but a lot of that I think is that it's a, it's a real showcase for the vocalist. Oh like, yeah, he, his performance here is wonderful. It's yeah, great. it's some of the some of the. There's got some good melodies, and it's in a really good part of his voice. And the way he goes, cemetery queen. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it. His voice does really well there, and he goes up to some falsetto notes that sound really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could if they can pull it off live. If he can pull it off live, then that'll be a good showcase for him. Oh, totally. Um, that's kind of the main lens in which I was enjoying. No, I, I enjoyed it. I just thought when it started again, I thought I was going to like it way more than I did. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just it, maybe it's a production or tone thing um, that just didn't, this, that song just didn't grab me like I thought it would. But yeah, like I said, it's definitely well written. It's well placed. Um, it's a smart move to throw that song there and a smart move to put it on the album. It definitely adds a, adds a little color and a little, cut some dynamic to this. This record I thought was going to be, it, I'll say this about this album. It's a lot more multi-dimensional than I thought it was going to be when I saw the cover and the name of the and the name of the of the uh, band and everything. I thought it was just going to be like straight up like new wave of traditional metal, happy birthday riffs the whole right. way through, and it wasn't even close to that. It's actually um, a fairly dynamic record um, yeah. in the confines of like the the, the what the, the subgenre they're working in. Um, so, and then this, this last, and you know, Cemetery Queen's a prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to hear more, uh, more expansion in that way in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know me, the prog fan, of course, I'm going to say that, but I would like to, again, like maintain that grounding in, in the live environment, but I'd like to hear even more adventurous writing on their next album, whenever that comes out. I'd love to hear them take on a power ballad, actually. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. And I was, I was kind of hoping the, for the track after Cemetery Queen, I was like, the way that this is all unfolding and the way they're varying the tempos and everything, this would be a great place to hit us with the power ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess looking at the, I knew that Headbang Till Death was not going to be a power ballad. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that this would be that, but to the stars, yeah. it's not quite. Um, this is a song I felt kind of like might have just suffered a little bit from the placement on the album. Yeah. Because I was I was ready to either bring it all the way back down and hear um, 
hear like power ballad because I wanted to hear how they would approach that or pick it back up and do another speed metal song because Cemetery Queen was more like a mid-tempo a little bit. This one, this next one, this Arms is very much a mid-tempo song yeah. as well. And, and I, it kind of just seems like, I don't know, I, this is a nine track album. So I start my brain, I start thinking baseball lineup mm-hmm. a little bit. And we're kind of, this does kind of seem like the, the eight spot hitter who's like, a really good fielding shortstop or something. A lot, of, a lot of times, I mean, this is not a bad song whatsoever. Um, but a lot of times, you know, when, when bands are writing, and I've done it, um, you know, a lot of times, and it's not even so much where you put the song that you think is the weakest, but it will be where you put the song that you really don't know how it flows on the album. Right. You know? It's kind of like the wild card song where you're kind of like, we have this tune and it's really good and we want it on the record, but I don't know what the fuck to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it kind of like goes, you know, second to last because, you know, that's usually a good spot for something like that. Um, yeah, it, this this song, I didn't hate it. Like, I didn't hate any songs on this record. I think all the songs I really liked. Um, this one, of course, like just kind of, it, it just kind of was there. I didn't pay, I didn't pay too, spend too much time with it. Um, but I did, I did it. I do think it's, it's a good track. It just, you know, like you said, it suffers a bit from the placement and it suffers a bit from the fact that like, you know, the song before it was pretty unique and the song we're going to come after that we're going to talk about coming after it is really awesome. So it just, yeah. It, it yeah. Just, and it's also, it's a, the, the subject matter of the lyrics is a little bit more personal um, yes. and a little bit more about personal struggles, which is definitely not a bad thing at all, but it's just like, and it makes sense from a very like a to vary things to put it where it is, but it also comes after a couple of the songs that have the most the strongest imagery on the album, Sky Destroyer and Cemetery Queen, and then this one just didn't quite have the same kind of lyrical hook to me. Yeah, I agree. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of it. There wasn't anything wrong with it. There just wasn't a lot that stood out even. Right. Um, I guess yeah, that's kind of just. I don't want to pick on that song too much because it doesn't no no, really no. it's, it's, it's perfectly <laughs> good. You know, and it's one of those, again, like one of those that like when I'm listening to my library on shuffle, that might come up and be like, it might be in just the right slot. Like it comes after the perfect song just by sheer coincidence. And I hear how awesome it is. Yeah. That happens, you know. For sure. So I guess then, I guess then we go on to the closer, which is Headbang Tell Death. And this song fucking rules. Yeah, this <laughs> is like, another highlight for sure. Yeah. I, I really, I really like it. It was different than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting like straight speed metal. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get that. It's a little more anthemic. Um, it's got, it's not, it has faster parts. Um, but I really liked, um, one of the coolest things I thought was like um, the double bass drum syncopation that was going on under, under the main melody. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really cool touch. Um, yeah, it's, this is, this is an anthem and this is going to probably be a set. This might be like a set closer or somewhere near the end of their set. This would really rile the crowd up. It's a wicked song. The like crescendo it builds to at the end. Yeah. I was like, dude, these guys wrote this. They wrote a song that's to end the album, and they ended the album on a high note. And I really appreciate that because it seems like bands don't do that enough. Yeah, yeah, you definitely you don't want your last song. You don't want to bury your last song because you don't know what to do with it. A strong no. closer is essential, and this is this is really strong. I like how it it starts out in six eight, and then once it gets to the bridge, it like goes into um, simple time again, and just like rocks cruises through to the end. Uh, that gives it a sense of like building up and building up speed. And mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, that it's, it's great when the ride ends on such a satisfying note, it makes me 
that much more want to be like, all right, sweet, let's do it again, you know, and go back. <laughs> yeah, back totally. Again. Yeah, I definitely, I repeated the song after, after I listened to it once. I played it again, yeah. which was, it was always a good sign. I'm like, I gotta like, I gotta hear that one more time because that was fucking sweet. Yeah. Um, no, this is, this is a, this is a rad song and a great way, and a really good way to close up what I think is a really good album. So, yeah, you know, I thought it was a satisfying ending. Um, lyrics were awesome. Um, you know, it, it's just, this band is, is a, this band is like much more, and I'm not trying to say, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding, without sounding weird. Um, I really thought when I got, when we got this album that I was going to hear a very typical immature, um, new wave of traditional heavy metal album. It is not anything like that. This is a very intelligent band that crafts songs with a purpose. They crafted album, an album with a purpose. It's a good length. It's about nine songs. Um, probably could have been eight, um, but let's do here nor there. Um, yeah, just like there, there's some really wicked ideas going on on this album. And this is a very, very new band that you can see um, the, if the drummer's the guy leading it, they got some strong leadership. You know, he has a good vision for the band and there's, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love to play with these guys. It's cool to, it's cool to see just what's going on on the literal opposite end of the continent. Yeah, you know? for sure. The opposite end of the, of the continental U S at least like, um, I don't know. I mean, I've never been to Miami. I've always been kind of interested in it. Uh, but it's funny because so much of the metal that's come out of Florida has actually come out of Northern Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, Tampa Definitely. and St. Petersburg and everything. Yep. Um, but Miami seems like an interesting place. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, they're lucky in the scene, if, especially if these guys are playing live a lot. Then, yeah, totally. You know, lucky people in Miami to get to go rock out to them. It'd be really fun to play with these guys someday. Oh, it totally would. And, you know, like I said, I was, I was very happy that, um, you know, after, after I was done listening to this album uh, for, for our purposes, for the purposes of the podcast, I actually listened to it again, you know, like I listened to the whole thing, I voluntarily decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and listen to that. So that's a very good sign that, you know, that I, and I, I think this, I'm really glad that we listened to this one. Um, I'm glad this band's on my radar now and I'm going to be definitely watching them and seeing what they, what they do next. Um, this is a really, really good way to have your first full length. This is two weeks, you know, we, we've now had two bands that, we've reviewed Adamantis and these guys versus their debut full length. And, you know, you see bands like that and I'm like, man, I just really hope these bands can stick together and, you know, stay together long enough to fully mature and find their feet and put out, so, you know, stuff that's even better than this because that's half the problem is bands have a hard time staying together because, yeah. you know, people move, people get jobs, real life happens. And then, you know, it's not always easy. Some parts of certain bands are just irreplaceable. Um, but hearing bands like Adamantis and hearing bands like um, Midnight Spell, I'm like, man, there's some like really good up and comers coming, coming down the pike. And yeah, you know, well, I, I think that that gets to like exactly what we were trying to do with this podcast and what we talked about, I guess, two weeks ago now about, you know, the excess of nostalgia and, and focusing on older, older bands to the neglect of some of these new up and coming bands. And it's, yeah, it's definitely like, it's it's satisfying and uh, definitely gives me hope to be hearing such good material coming out of debut albums. You know? It's also reassuring for us as I don't know how you feel, but for me playing in Greyhawk, it, it definitely like feels reassuring to know that there's people, other people uh, in this country doing this kind of music. 
And, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I would love to play with them, as you stated. I would love to I – want, I want to see them. Like, I think they'd be a fucking riot live. Like, I think yeah. they would absolutely be a riot live. And, yeah, I think this is a wicked record. Um, I'm going to go ahead and – I'm happy that last week I couldn't re- – in good conscience, recommend the album that we review. Um, <laughs> but um, this week, I can uh, I can in 100% good conscience recommend Sky Destroyer by Midnight Spell. I think these boys have done a great job of crafting this record. Um, again, it's 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 new. I mean, it, it didn't blow my mind or anything, but it definitely I definitely really liked it. I had a great time listening to it, and I'm probably going to listen to it more. So, if you are a fan of like new wave of traditional heavy metal, classic metal, power metal. Um, any of that kind of good, down dirty rock and roll, like check out Midnight Spell. You'll be happy you did. Yeah. And if you're, uh, you know, either in the Southern Hemisphere or a warm place, or you find yourself six months from now looking for something to listen to at your barbecue in, in August or like driving your convertible, I think this is going to be a really good summer album. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely it will be. So, hey, Midnight Spell, boys, if you're listening to this, hats off to you. My hat's staying on because my hair's fucked up right now. So it's, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a, that, that was, that was a really great album to listen to. And I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad what we chose. Um, so unless there's anything more about Midnight Spell to talk about, we can move forward. No. Yeah. Just looking forward to, to hearing them and hopefully seeing them in the heavy metal arena. Yeah. In the future. More albums, boys, more albums, more shows. Let's uh, let's, let's keep her going. Um, so yeah, we're going to go for our pick of the weeks now. Uh, picks of the week, I should say, not pick of the weeks. Um, I would pick this week because this is the week it is. Um, so I have uh, my pick this week is a band called Screamer, and the album is Hell Machine. You can see it, it's got a cool looking black cat thing on the front. Um, yeah, these dudes are from Sweden. Um, they started and I saw them at Frost and Fire in uh, 2018. I think it was the last. Frost and Fire that, that happened, and they were the first band on either the Friday or the Saturday. Um, and it, 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 I don't think the first or the second. They were really early in the bill. There was a lot of bands that I saw that weekend. I think I really saw like 30 bands that weekend. So it was hard to remember exactly who played when. And also there was a lot of partying and fun involved. So it kind of <laughs> foggies, foggies up the old memory too. Um, but I, I remember them being on early and, you know, I was, I just was shaken off like the flight and everything. And they woke me up. Like there was really good musical coffee. Um, so these guys have been around since 09. Um, and they're on something called the sign records. And I don't know if that's an ace of base reference for them being from Sweden and all, but that, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but I want to meet these dudes and hang out with them and stuff. And they're all super nice. Their drummer's like eight feet tall. Uh, and he's, he was a super funny guy. He was one of the, one of the coolest guys I met down there. This is just like straight up heavy metal. Like, again, this is kind of along the same lines as Midnight Spell. It's one of the reasons I chose it is because it's just very similar to that style. Um, yeah, they're, 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 these guys are good ass time. So like you kind of said, if you're having a barbecue or a party or a gathering, or you, you want to just put on something to get the mood going, you know, Screamer, uh, Hell Machine, hell yeah. Get, get it. Put it on your table and uh, have a good ass time with it. Favorite track yeah. off that album? What's that? A favorite track? Um, I really like. There's one called "Lady of the Night" that I really like. That's a cool one. And the title track "Hell Machine" is badass too. So, um, yeah, your great record. Nice. I will have to check that out, and everyone else should too, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, um, you know, I've only really started collecting records um, in earnest kind of since the pandemic, in part because there's just nothing else to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I moved, I've got more room for that kind of stuff. So I don't have as many records as I'd like from our contemporaries, you know, because I tend to like, my, my usual thing was if I want to buy a record or a shirt from a band, you know, it's in person at the show. I would like to support bands that yeah. way. Ended up with a lot more of old school stuff on my hands, which is just a, a, a roundabout way to say I'm, gonna, I'm bringing another classic today because I just found this one um, um, yeah, earlier this week and was really stoked to find a good copy of it. I know this is one that you really like, Darren, because um, you introduced me to it, but this is the self-titled <laughs> debut EP by Queensryche. Oh, it's so uh, fucking good it's yeah so good. it's just really it's just really tight it's um you know it's just kind of crazy to think this is basically you know as i understand it this was the demo they recorded yeah. i think they recorded this before they even had the name queen's i was reading today because mm-hmm. they ended up naming the band after the first track on the demo Dude, and they basically fir- so their first show was at like the paramount or something in town here or the more you told me i don't remember more which. one of those big ass theaters like their first their first show I heard was like one of those theaters because for those that don't know we're we're both broadcasting from like the Seattle area you know uh, I'm in the city proper rivs in the city a little bit outside of Seattle but yeah and Queen Striker from here so they're kind of like hometown guys yeah this is a it's it's kind of cool it's part of the reason I, I definitely wanted to buy it it's it's a you know the first pressing on 206 records apparently the only album ever released on 206 records of course that's the Probably. area code here. Um, and it was recorded at, at a studio in Redmond, Washington, um, where Microsoft is located, called Triad Studios. A bunch of albums are recorded there, uh, especially for people familiar with Northwest metal, like Sanctuary, Air Apparent. Um, Queensryche recorded some other stuff there too. And um, it's just funny. It's um, even just, you know, these old albums you find, like on the back here, they've got an address to write to uh, to join the fan club, you yeah. know, like you used to see is, back in. Is it a PO box? Uh, no, it's fifteen two five one Bell Red Road, Bellevue, Washington. Oh, dude, that, that, that's right up on the jam space. Yeah, it's 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 only like uh, you know maybe half a mile from where we practice. Yeah, okay. yeah, I was gonna say I know who that is. <laughs> I looked it up. It's a Pagliacci Pizza now. Ah, so. and maybe before. I don't know. We should show up and be like, hey, we're here for the Queensrÿche fan club. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So like we'll just be really annoying. Like, All right, just give us some free pizzas and we'll leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good way to scam some free food, but dude, that's a such a good pick. Yeah, it's it's so good. I mean, I've been beating around the bush, not talking about the actual music as much, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a real pleasure to hear something that's just so it's just good front to back. That's one of the advantages of an EP is like four tracks; they're all good. Um, anyone who knows this EP knows that it's, it's pretty much all about the first and last tracks on here. Mm-hmm. Queen of the Reich, which is the song that Queen's Reich is named for. And then the lady were black, yeah. which is a fantastic ballad. Um, oh, and singing is terrifying. Gonna, yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. Jeff Tate was like 22, 23 or something like that. When in, they were peak, in peak form, dude. Just yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I'll be honest. I don't even know all of Queen's Reich's catalog that well. When I joined Greyhawk, you guys were like, yeah, we're thinking about like 80s style, kind of like that first Queensryche EP. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the first things I was like, oh, I got to hear that, I guess, to, if I'm going to be in this band. And so I've, I've, ever since then, I just like, when I want Queensryche, this is kind of what I reach for. 
It was uh, the first one for me too. It's just, it knocked it's, my it's, socks off. It's unusual, I think, to uh, to have a band come out of the gate with something this good. Um, yeah, it's kind and of an anomaly. Sure sounding. Because, um, you know, most bands, you wouldn't be like, start at the very beginning. More often than not, you'd be like, yeah, check out their third or fourth album because that's when they'd really figured it out. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, you could say that's true with like, you know, Mind, Mind Crime was a ways after this, but uh, several years after this. But this is still a remarkably good, cool, unique sounding record. It's got, um, you know, you can probably get picky about the, the production on it. There's a lot of reverb on the vocals. There's, it does have a little bit of a, of a kind of um, trebly kind of very reverby kind of sound that I've noticed that some of the albums that came out of the studio did. Um, a lot of Air Parents earlier stuff sounds this way too. Well, they, they all have the same vocal teacher apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently that dude and um, Jeff Tate and there's one or two other guys around town. Um, uh, they all had the same vocal coach um, back, back when they all started. So that's why they kind of have like some of those same like vibrato and same inflictions yeah. that they do. Uh, those were all very signature, much signatures of like the vocal coach that, that was teaching them at the time. Some I don't know the guy's name or any details about him, but I know all those dudes learned from, learned from the same guy. It just kind of goes to show how much one teacher can affect the whole sound of a scene. Oh, you know, totally. Whether that's a composition teacher or a vocal teacher, guitar teacher or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is just one of those records because it's, it's so short and sweet and simple. It's, it's by Queensryche. It's called Queensryche. And it's got four songs and they're all good. None of them are too long. Um, it's very digestible. It's very easy to just like, you want to hear some Queensryche? Put this on and it's 20 minutes of your life and it's 20 minutes really well spent. Yeah. I just really like the simplicity of it. Also, just like this logo is so dope. Yeah, I, I wish they had like used it more because it's so it, cool. It's awesome. It, it's wow. very like, it encapsulates that time like so well. Like you look at that yeah. and it's like, I came, and it, what was it, 83, 84, something like that? Uh, 82. 82. Was even, yeah, it just, it really you know, it encapsulates that time. Like when I think back to like a lot of the movies and stuff and like the logos from that time, it really... It really is a good representation of like the style around in 1982. Um, but yeah, that's a really record. I'm glad you mentioned all those bands because people gotta know like Seattle has more music than just grunge. We're not just a grunge city. Yeah, that shit blew up, but there's a lot of great metal here too. Yeah, and yeah, during the 80s, before all that grunge stuff happened, when this was going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, probably a lot of people listening to this know this record. Because uh, if you're a real, if you're a fan of this kind of stuff, but if you're someone who maybe has heard some Queens Rike, like you've heard Mind Crime or you've heard Jet City Woman or whatever, um, um, then you should absolutely dig a little deeper and, and and check out this one because it's just, it's really unique. It's enough. It's got a, a unique enough thing that that um, you know, you and Jesse would say, hey, like, but this one EP is a big influence on us, yep. and you don't always hear that with an EP, you know. That's true. Very true. So. Um, and it's it's just you know that the first three songs i guess are kind of more straight ahead rockers and the last one's a ballad but there's a lot of variation between queen of the reich and knight rider and i really like the song blinded um track three on it i don't yeah. really hear anyone referring to it it's got that kind of trippy outro and it just go, you know cuts goes absolutely like it, it disappears and then lady wore black comes in with like wind sound effects and like rain and yeah. Jeff Tate whistling and they really master the, the atmosphere there, uh, which is one of the things that's so great about that 
ballad is typically bands don't get that atmosphere thing down until later in their careers. Right. So it's right. rare to hear. It's, it's, it's not unusual, I think, to hear like a, a, a burner, you know, on someone's early EP that mm-hmm. just has a lot of raw youthful energy that kicks ass. But it is rare to hear a ballad that is that good. On yeah, for sure. Anyway, so yeah, Queensryche, first EP, piece of Northwest history, piece of metal history. Definitely uh, check that out if you haven't heard it. It's a must-have. If you're in, yeah. Anyone likes this kind of music, like it's a must-have. And I'm, I'm thinking, of, like, trying to think of other EPs that have the same impact as that one. I'm having a hard time. Yeah. Um, I have, like, there are definitely, like, other great EPs out there. Like, uh, Slayer's uh, Haunting the Chapel EP comes to mind. Or it's covers, but, like, Metallica's Garage Days EP was a big one, too. But yeah. I don't think the, any of those really had the same impact that that one did. That made me a big splash, and it's just legendary. Yeah, and this this kind of brings us up to the the topic we had thought about discussing, which is just kind of formats and how different formats and different lengths kind of affect the listening experience. And it's to me, I I, I still kind of feel like the EP is a is an underutilized form somehow. Like there's a potential there that's never been fully explored somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just because I have a short attention span, <laughs> you know, but like I can, I, I like that, you know, an EP is a, as an, as a, a product that I can fully wrap my mind around. Yeah. And if it's well done, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of albums out there that have four or five really great songs on them and that they end up filling out the album with four, three or four other songs that maybe don't even need to be there. And it just always kind of makes me think like, you know, a, a really good album oftentimes could have been a truly great EP if that were something that people cared about. I like EPs too. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I think the reason you don't see them as much is it could just be like a, a money thing more than anything. Like it's kind of like, I think it's when it comes to labels, they think they can't sell it for as much. But yeah. so basically you, 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 you sell something that has less content on it, but you can't charge as much. Um, but the cost to produce the, the vinyl is the same. Yeah. So I think that's the main reason you don't see as many because as far as formats go, vinyl is kind of king right now. I mean, it's kind of like, which is crazy, which is crazy, but also awesome because I like vinyl. Um, so I think that the, the, the worry that people have um, is the, just the, the from a monetary standpoint. But artistically, I do think that EPs are, are great. And I think that bands should consider doing them more often, like one, when they're starting out, um, giving someone an EP of really strong songs that they can digest and as an intro to the band, mm-hmm. I think is a great idea. Um, I also think that, you know, I mean, like, like but I guess, why wouldn't you pay 20 bucks for an EP? I would, if it was good. If it's um, good. I mean, I, I did with, with this one, like I, I, I found it at, at a record shop and they had, you know, it was 25 bucks. They also had the warning for 15 bucks. Also worthwhile, right? But I, I went with the EP because it's the material I like more. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I, I get that. It's, it, it's also, you get kind of the awkward thing with, with the record size, you know, and you're not quite, like I mentioned when you brought up the, the Grey Maiden EP, that it yeah. was like the first, the first EP uh, 45 that I had. So I started it off and was like, wow did they tune down for this or something <laughs> and then you know when i got this one i was like oh yeah I, I now i know the score i'm gonna put this on 45 
Yeah. And I put it on, and the Queen of the Reich starts off. Oh, okay, it's a 33 EP. You know, so that's kind of there's there's some oddities like that with it. Yeah, and and, it, it, and every fan is so different. Like everybody's likes consuming music in their own way. That it's impossible to make everyone happy. Like I definitely have my own quirks. Like I love CDs, but I don't buy them because I don't have really room to store them. They're odd things to store. Um, whereas records, like you can just like stack them all up, like really tight together, and then you can flip through them. So they're easy to store and they look cooler. Whereas like, you know, if I just if I put CDs all over the place, they got to go in like shelving and they got, or like those fucking towers that used to stack them up in the nineties. Like they just, yeah, right. your, your place winds up looking like a, a music store, not a house. If you right. have like a bunch of CDs. Um, and it's easy and, to break the little hinges on the jewel cases. Yeah. And, and also, and also like, I don't use them in my car. Like I have, you know, I, I hook my phone up in my car or whatever. Um, just because I again I don't want CDs all over my fucking car. I just yeah. it's a mess. So I, I think the CD is a CD is a superior audio sound. If nothing sounds as good as, as a CD. I'm sorry if you're listening out there and you're cringing. Stop because I'm right. <laughs> I mean they they sound the best, um, but they're not the coolest format. I'll, I'll, I, vinyl is my preferred format. Um, this this one thing I want to mention here, and I think it's just a personal thing. Um, you know, all bands don't give me demos. I hate demos. <laughs> I don't want to hear any. If you hand me a demo, I'm not going to listen to it because to me, demo means unfinished stuff. And if it's not finished, then you should go finish it. But if it's not <laughs> recorded the way you want to record it, then you should go record it the way you want it recorded. I don't want your demo. Um, give your demo to the record label. Give your demo to the record producer. Give your demo to the people to manage your manager the people who need to hear that in order to make your album like we do demos Greyhawk has demos no one hears them outside the band you know they're or our producer you know those are the people who hear our demos because and do they sound cool yeah they do like you know it's us playing on it it's, it's rev singing but it's not the finished product so we don't give it to anyone <laughs> you know right. putting up like a single i guess is kind of like sometimes bands do that um they'll put up like a just like one single. Um, and that can be cool if there's a B side. Um, <laughs> oh God, that reminds me of like, there was this one fan when I was in Skeletor. Um, the first thing we did was we recorded a single, the song Cast Iron. So there's two yeah. versions of Cast Iron up there. There's the one that made it out of the album Cyber Metal. And there's another one, this is a single that we recorded when I joined the band. Because we were going on tour and we wanted something to have to tour. So we recorded that, and then the B side of the cassette is a cover of us doing uh, Jawbreaker by Judas Priest. Right. Um, and so I was at this show, and this guy, this gentleman came up to the merch booth, and he, I was working on the merch booth, and he says, oh, like, what's that? Like, what's that tape? And I'm like, oh, it's a single for Cast Iron. And he's like, oh, I got that song on the, on the record. And I'm like, yeah, but this is, one. it's a different version, but on the back, like, there's, like, the couple, like we did Judas Priest Jawbreakers on the back. And he's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, what do you mean? Why would we do that? He goes, why would you just put Jawbreaker on there? And I was like, why wouldn't we? So this dude actually thought that like, he didn't think that we covered it. He actually thought that we just took like Judas Priest's recording of their song Jawbreaker and like taped it on side <laughs> B. Like he, he thought that side one was Skeletor and side B we had somehow like just dubbed 
uh, Jawbreaker by Judas Priest out of the back, and he's like, why the fuck would you do that? And I'm like, what are you Bands do covers all the time. What are you talking about? But I got, finally got to the point. He's like, oh, wait. So, like, you guys play it. I'm like, yeah, we covered the song. So it's a different version. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll buy it then. <laughs> oh, my God. That conversation actually happened. But um, Yeah, I mean, I guess, and singles go back to a time when, like, 45s were a more viable format. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that was it's kind of how I, like, sort of got into vinyl. It's like when I was a kid, my parents gave me this old – it was like a little record player that was powered by nine volt batteries. Yeah. Portable one. It didn't even have a, a way to plug into AC power. It was just a battery powered thing. And so 30, like LPs were too uh, heavy for it. It couldn't actually handle them. It could really only play 45s. And there was like a vintage store and this was like, you know, the late nineties. So no one was really listening to records, much less 45s. And there was a little Not store going get them for 25 cents and so that was my my first record collection was this little stack of singles and it was like it was what i could find and what i was into as a kid so it was like motown stuff and beatles and beach boys my my prize 45 was in the year 2525 by zager and evans nice one wow. wonder it's a great little song nice um but yeah i mean i guess singles aren't aren't so much a thing anymore because it was a way to get songs under the radio not in our scene um in some scenes they do, like, I don't like punk rock bands will do a lot of like splits. So like bands will go halfway on the cost of everything. And then like, you know, one, like say like we did one with Solicitor or whoever, it'd be like our song would be on one side and then, or our songs would be on one side and then their songs would be on another side. And you can do that on a seven inch, you could do that on a 45, you could do it on a full, you know, EP or whatever. And that's, I think that's a cool way to do it. I wish bands would collaborate more. I think maybe we should do that yeah i mean it it happens typically earlier on in bands careers you know we're still early enough i think to do that but but why not i think collaborating is cool and i think it's it's just i get really interested in how how different format like how the music kind of maps onto the the physical format and i think that's especially interesting with vinyl because you get um you know now you're getting albums that are classics on cds being re-released on vinyl because people want their favorite albums on vinyl right uh, but they weren't really meant for that. And it's interesting that some, to me, like, it's important to have it be symmetrical. It's important to have an, a, an order that makes sense. Like, it's awkward and weird when you have, like, a long album that's, like, on three LPs and two of them are full and one of them only has, like, one track that's actually cut or uh, one side it's actually cut. Or you end up with, like, um, I'll bring Opeth into it just because this is an example I know. So Opeth's kind of most classic album you know most essential album according to a lot of people's blackwater park from 2001 and i would agree that's an essential progressive death metal album uh it's what got me into opeth i love it one of my favorite albums of all time but it's like an hour and five minutes or something it's a pretty long album it's a cd album but when you get that like the, the only vinyl release i've seen has it like broken up really awkwardly like two tracks on side a three tracks on side b but then like one track on side C and then side D has like the last track, Blackwater Park, which is a monumental epic song, but then like also a live version of one of the other songs on the album, bootleg from some show. And then to me, that's enough reason not to buy it because it's like, it doesn't. It's it's brutal. Yeah, I know. I have a couple albums like that, like reissues of albums from the nineties when no one thought about vinyl. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's like, it's, it's like a four-side album. There's like two, a couple songs per 
side and you want it flipping the damn side of the record all the time. So it's, yeah, I mean, and bands back then, like, yeah, you, like you said, it was all geared towards a CD and a CD can hold like 120 minutes on one CD disc or some shit like that. I'm not sure. And so you wind up on double disc, you know, your dream theater and then you put need like four CDs to fit your album or whatever. Right, um, right. But it's, uh, it's definitely changed. Like I remember when we were writing uh, Keepers of the Flame, we're like, this, our goal is to get this on vinyl. So we really need to like think about how long side A is and how long side B is. We can't just pick a track order and say, this is cool. We got to think about, you know, are we going to be able to fit all these songs on one side and do it? So it sounds good. Cause if you start ramming too much music on one side of a, of a record, it starts to really compress the sound and make it sound terrible. Yeah. So that definitely is, is, is interesting. Um, I find the cassette resurgence very interesting. And we kind of touched about on this last week uh, with, with Jeff, but um, I find that very interesting. Um, it, it kind of boggles my mind a bit as someone that grew up with tapes, um, hating them, <laughs> you know, like trying to like get to that one song I want to listen to and like, having to fast forward and rewind and fast forward and rewind and try to find the right spot rather than just picking up the needle and moving it or clicking. Like, dude, when I started to get, C when I got switched all my shit over to CDs in the nineties, my life got so much better. I was like, oh, I could just like pick the track and it knows where to go, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like as far as like analog media goes, tapes don't really make sense as an at home medium to me, at least it, it makes sense. If you like, you know, if you're in the tape trade and, you happen to have a car that has a tape deck, then it's perfect, right? Because then it's like- In the 80s, it made total sense. Yeah. Because it, it, you could put it in a Walkman, you could put it in your car, it was portable. That, that's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it, it does make sense. I mean, I, my first car had a tape deck. And so I, I had like a little case of tapes I kept under my front seat and, but they weren't really commercial releases. They were like, I used my CD player to like record yeah, Blackwater Park or whatever onto the tape so I could listen to it in the car. But I would be, if I, if my car now had a tape player, I'd be really stoked to just like buy tapes from new bands and listen to that. Yeah, I mean, like, and then I, I've heard a lot of people say that they're just cheaper, you know, because like a lot of people are on a budget and yeah. can't afford a $25 vinyl. And I get that. They can afford an $8 tape. So, you know, I, I, I definitely, when they first came out, I was kind of like, what the fuck, that's stupid. But then, you know, I, I kind of came around to it and was like, you know, I, I, there's a visit reason why people like these things. And just because it's never going to be mine. I have my share of tapes, like the same thing. Like my old stoner band had a van and our tour van had tapes. So we, I collected a lot of really bad hair metal tapes and a lot of really like obscure Canadian rock band tapes that like people down here have never heard of these bands, like, you know, down here. So but the funny thing was like the tape of that tour was Boney M. Like, we got a fucking bony <laughs> tape and we listened to that all the time because for whatever reason, like, you know, that was a long, grueling 15,000 kilometer tour. It was long. And geez, man, like, but that, hearing that, hearing that music just would perk us up, you know, it would just like. I mean, that's what it's designed for, right? I mean, that's the whole yeah. idea with this. Yeah, it, it's fun and it was <laughs> lighthearted and it would kind of like, you know, I don't want to listen to like doomy, doom and gloom right now. Like it's something happy. And there's one guitar player in our band who was like kind of a grouchy guy who was just pissing him off the whole time, which was also wonderful too. <laughs> um, I, there's something about like, when you have that restriction, like you can only listen to a certain format at a certain time, then you can kind of create relationships with music that you wouldn't necessarily have a relationship with mm -hmm. otherwise. Like I remember back when I had a tape player, for some reason, I must've been in a gas station or something and I bought a, a 50 cent album 
Okay. I don't remember which one. And I'm, I'm not like a hip hop guy, really. I, I enjoy it. I just don't really have the, the knowledge base. And like, it doesn't always click with me. But, I'm with you. But, but for some reason, I just like, I think maybe it was 50 cents. And I was like, oh, a 50 cent tape for 50 cents. And, you know, it's probably the only thing remotely like gangster rap album that I've ever had. But I listened to that shit a lot. I just, I loved like putting the tape in and like the way the first track was. I, it just, I grooved with it. I would never feel the need to download it or buy it on CD or buy it on vinyl. But like I had kind of a relationship with that tape. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing about physical media that we kind of lose with digital stuff is like, you know, the, being able to kind of create those weird relationships and weird memories with specific pieces of music. I definitely, yeah. And I definitely have had a weird relationship with digital media my entire life. Um, I've very much always been a music collector. Um, when I was younger, I was an obsessive music collector. I spent, you know, in, in my early 20s and late teens, I spent all my money on albums, all of it. Like I, I, I dumped paychecks at record stores. Like you've never seen it. I have like a 6,000 CD collection that's in my attic. Like, yeah. like it's, it's about 6,000 albums. It's like about, I think there's like eight or nine giant industrial crates of CDs up there. Um, there's some gems in there too. Like it'd be interesting to dig them out and thumb through it one day. Yeah. Um, some embarrassing shit too. <laughs> um, so when, when digital media started coming out, it, it just really pissed me off. And it wasn't even so much as a musician it pissed me off. Um, Cause like when I started playing heavy metal, I never had you know, any real aspirations of making a million bucks doing this. I'm, I know that like the, uh, that's, it's possible. You could be the next Metallica, but that's, you might win the lottery too. You know, like those, these are all long shot things that might happen, but you know, the, 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 even if you work, bust your ass and make it happen, the odds are long. I'm not saying you shouldn't try. Everyone should try. Go be a rock star, but um, you know, you never know. So when people started down, I was just mad. I was like, these, these MP3s sound terrible. Um, it's not, you don't, I, I, I did not get the same experience from listening to albums that are in my hands that I did from uh, listening to MP3s. And I was literally at the time just like, oh man, everyone that downloads is a fucking poser, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm broke for metal. What are you, you're telling me that you can't afford to buy these albums? Fuck you. I'm more true than you and I. You know, just stupid kid crap, right? But at one point I was like, you know what? I was sitting in my house and I got all these CDs everywhere. And I'm like, it's like, it's, it's just cluttering up my place. And I'm like, you know what, dude? Fuck it. I'm, you can't beat them, join them. So I burned every single CD I had to a giant hard drive, packed them all up, and put them in those crates they're in now and stored them away. Because I was like, you know what? I give up. I give up. I'm embracing the digital age in whatever medium it was. This, that was like 2008 or something. So it was before the days of like streaming media was really a thing. Um, I like the streaming media in general. Um, I love the convenience of it. I love having an iTunes subscription and having that shit in my pocket. That's really cool. I mean, it's the, the, I think the best strength of that is just for exploration. I mean, it just opens the world of listening to all this stuff for the first time. And, and, and certainly for a project like this podcast, I mean, imagine having to like, you know, we would have ended up with like two copies of the Accept album that we're never going to listen to again. Yeah, totally. And, and we, we, put, we put this podcast up on those platforms. That's how people listen yeah. to it. So, you know, you, you can't fight, even if you don't like it, you can't fight, you know. I certainly, 
enjoy the convenience of it. I enjoy the accessibility. I enjoy that if I want to hear someone says to me, oh, check out this obscure band. I don't have to like go to some boutique record shop and ask the guy to order it in or something and wait like a month before I hear that record. And maybe I didn't, maybe it sucks. Maybe I hate it. You know, um, it's, a uh, it's just definitely a cool convenience and a cool accessibility factor. Um, I'm really glad that physical media is coming back along with that yeah. because people, people listening to us in podcast land, I need you to listen to what I'm going to say. Listening to bands on Spotify or on iTunes doesn't help them at all. As far as it comes to royalties, we get nothing, nothing like the Greyhawk royalties from our album keepers of the flame from Spotify and um, iTunes are zero. They have not paid us a dime. And I know I see the, I see those damn stats. People are listening to our record. It's not like people aren't listening to it, but it's not like the radio where when you go on those sites and play the music, the, the bands get royalties. It's not like that. You put on the, on the radio, every time a band's song gets played three times, they get 25 cents. So that's how the, the hit, the hits make a lot of money because you think about how many times, you know, the latest song by the weekend or whatever gets played on the radio in every market in the world and every day, that's a lot of money. Um, for Spotify, I don't know how the royalty systems work, but I can tell you for independent artists, it doesn't, they do not, and we do not get paid. So if you like that, if you like that band, go ahead and listen to it on Spotify. I'm not telling you not to just, if you want to support them and you feel like you want to support them, and I'm not saying you have to, you know, like I said, I don't like the word support too much. I buy things because I want them. But if you want to, if you feel, if you do feel like you want to kick the band some money, buy a shirt, buy a hat, buy a CD, buy a record, go to their band camp, buy the, buy the music digitally from band camp. You know, bands make shitloads of money off band camp. That's the sweet plum. We've made lots of money on band camp um, because band camp is there for that. They're there for artists to be able to sell their music. Spotify and iTunes say that's what they're supposed to do, but that's not. Now, yeah, it's, it's, so yeah, those things are a great way to scope out music and figure out if you want to go the next step. Yes. I'm not saying don't listen to them. I listen to them. I use iTunes to listen to music all the time. However, I'm going to go buy Midnight Spells record on some format because I liked it and I want to support them. You know, that's, that's me. I mean, that said, I would still rather like if someone has no money at all, I would still like them to be able to listen to the Greyhawk album whenever they totally. want. They want to. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, 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 I'm in no way, shape, or form saying don't listen to our stuff on iTunes, and I'm in no way, shape, or form saying that if you don't buy our record, you're not a fan. You are a fan, and if you can't afford to buy our album, that's okay. Listen to it for free on YouTube or Spotify or however you're listening to it. That's fine. Um, but I, what I'm just telling, what I'm, what I'm putting out there is a lot of people are under the impression that Spotify works like the radio. And they are under the impression that the more they listen to a band's song, the more money that band gets. And that's just absolutely not the case. Yeah. So. Yeah, whereas, you know, on Bandcamp, yeah, if you download our album or buy a CD on Bandcamp, like, you know, we get a little email ding on our phone. You know, some days I'm having a shitty day at work or whatever, and I like get an email and I look down and I see, you know, somebody bought the album. Yeah. That, that like is a That's nice awesome. little, you know, happy moment that can really like 
brighten my day you know yeah I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's not you know if you buy on Bandcamp, we know we notice and we care <laughs> yeah we see it if your name pops up your email pops up you know we have those records forever you know so we we know if we go to see to, if we play wichita falls you know we know that that maybe like whoever in wichita falls bought our record and you know if we see them if you come up to us at a show and say hey i'm so-and-so i bought your album go, i know i saw the odor on Bandcamp." you know okay. and if you buy digitally we see it too and you know that's the thing like we're not we all have day jobs and we're all working stiffs and you know, we all have our other ways we pay our money we, we get money to pay our bills um but it's very gratifying to know that people like what you're doing it is gratifying you know of course you make music for the sake of making music, but when like-minded people enjoy your music or your record and, and purchase it because they think enough of it to purchase it, it, it feels great. You know, it, it's, it's very rewarding. So thank you everyone that's bought Keepers of the Flame, by the way, like oh, absolutely. our album, which if you don't know, our album is the same name as our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we we're, just didn't want to think of anything else. We're lazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when you find something that works, exactly yeah so yeah i guess it's it's been a roundabout kind of topic i just i i think there's still in some ways like areas to be explored in terms of like how you kind of map out and contextualize the music as it's put on a on a on physical media um and i like so something that i've noticed on a couple old um like japanese uh city pop albums this is something i got sort of into through roundabout means i know um leona who plays bass for skeletor now is really mm-hmm. into this old school japanese stuff and she'll post it sometimes and then i kind of started getting into it too just because it's cool music played by really good players and um sometimes it's kind of cheesy but it's, it's it's really creative and interesting and something that a lot of those bands were doing is they had like a day side and a night side to the album Okay. So there'd be like half the album was labeled the day side and half was the night side. And the songs were kind of themed differently and, and um, had different vibes based on that. And I, I just really like that idea that like the different sides of the album actually have different characters or different parts of the story. And I think there's a lot that could be done to kind of like just add slightly different context to the way that albums are experienced. And I think that that could be really cool. It even occurred to me, maybe this is stupid, but um, you could even put out an album which is two EPs and you could, yeah. I mean, that would, maybe that would sound pretentious if, if people were like, Oh, Hey, like I checked out your new album because it's on one record. And you're like, well, actually it's two EPs. <laughs> maybe that's stupid, but like, I would be interested if I saw a band or an album that's like one side is one EP, one complete unit. And you side B is another complete unit. And like the, the sleeve has like the album cover for each on both sides. That could yeah. be really cool and interesting. I think. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different format, like ways things you could do. And how would you, one of the things makes me think of, what you said makes me think of some of the prog bands of the seventies and how they have really extravagant packaging for their mm-hmm. albums. Like there's a, I can't remember the name of the, the album. I have it here. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll bust it out on a future podcast because we um, bought it in Vegas. I was there to see Halloween in 2018, I think the pumpkins mm-hmm. United thing. And I went to this really cool record store that were, you have to like barter with the guy for the price of the records. None of them have a price. The guy will like look it up on the internet. And like, I guess there's a lot of suckers that, you know, because he'll just like tell you what the price is on Discogs and like basically jack it up. And I'm like, well, why don't I just, so he did that. He did that to me. He goes, well, it's worth 22.80 on the internet. I'm like, well, 
why don't I just pull up my phone and buy that copy then? Why would I buy this from you if you're going to add another five bucks to it? <laughs> you know, it just seems ludicrous. So I'm like, how about you give me, and then he was, then he started having fun. He's like, this guy knows how to haggle, right? Like it's, he's just, he's hustling. But there was this one book, um, record there. And so it's a weird prog album. It's a very, I don't listen to it a lot. It's a very strange album, but the, it has like basically an art book attached to it. Oh um, yeah, you showed me that. Yeah, it, it's wild, wow. man. It's wild. It's 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 basically it's really thick. It's like a fifth, it's like a thirty-page book, and it's it tells this really uh, crazy story about like some alien invasion, and I don't know, like this creature gets born and becomes some kind of a god or something. It's it's a, I don't remember how the story goes, but it was super extravagant, and it's one of the coolest package records I've ever seen. And it would be cool to see bands get back into trying um, some different stuff when it came to packaging, you know? That's, yeah. I mean, it's part of the advantage of physical media is like the wow factor you can get from like putting together a really cool visual product. Especially with vinyl making a comeback because it is the best vinyl. Look, one, one of the things you can say for it is it's by far the best medium for artwork. Yeah. For artwork and for legibility of having a lyric sheet, you know, it's nice to have a lyric sheet that, um, you can like pick it up and generally speaking, you can actually read it. Whereas a CD, you gotta get out your like monocle and your magnifying glass and like really, really look hard. And so it's, it's cool. And to me, it, 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 physical packaging is important. Um, to me, it shows, some people don't like it. I, I've known people that like, does, don't, they don't wanna know what the band looks like, um, where yeah. they're from or anything, which is weird to me. I wanna know, I like to get the, the full background of the atmosphere of the story. I had an interesting experience with that. Um, it was 2013, and The Sword is a band. I, I've, I, I really like a lot of their records. I don't like all of them, but I like some of them. And they just put out, well, my favorite album is that one, Apocryphon, that they did in 2013. And they just put it out, and I listened to it. You know, those are the days when I was still, like, where, like, the Pirate Bay and shit were still kind of going. I don't know if those things still exist anymore, but I, uh, I, I yanked the album off of Pirate Bay. Oh, shit, I just confessed to pirating music. So, <laughs> uh, I mean... Uh, my friend Pirate Pope got it for me from Pirate Bay. <laughs> Someone other than me. Um, and I listened to it and I remember thinking, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's a decent record um, or whatever. So I went down to Scrape Records, which is the local uh, record store, and, um, got, and I bought the CD. And it was a completely different listening experience. For whatever reason, I opened the CD. I kind of read through the booklet. I plumped it in my car stereo and turned it up. And it kicked my ass and it became my favorite album by the sword. So I know the one you're talking about. And I, I think I listened to it digitally. So maybe, I mean, I liked it, but I should maybe try to find it on a Yeah, page. It just, I don't know why it just, it really registered with me when I saw the artwork and I read the lyrics and everything, like all of a sudden, like it, it just, it just hit me a lot harder than when I heard it on the, uh, on the digital download side. So for me, and again, not everyone's the same. For me, the physical product helps with the overall experience. It does. Like, and, and I hear people say like, oh, it should be all about the music. It should be like this very pure experience. But like, I don't know, that seems like bullshit to me. Like it's never really all about the music, is it? Because there's always other context in terms of like what's going to be going on in your head when it's playing, how it's being presented to you. The funniest uh, shit too is like people who say that, they'll be wearing the, a band t-shirt when they say that to you. Right, and you're like really, like it's all about the music. Why are you wearing a fan? Why are you, why are you wearing a band logo shirt then? It's all about the music. You shouldn't need to wear a band shirt, you know. Right. So yeah, it's it, there's always in every genre. There's like every genre has a way of trying to get at being all about the music, 
but there's still like always a context and like a set of conventions that go into how that music is made and experienced, which is always part of the fun because it makes, it's part of the reason the music sounds the way it does. You can't divorce it from the actual process of making the music and the process of listening to it. Yeah. Because music is something that happens in physical reality. You know, it actually, whether it's just like the sound waves moving through the air, uh, but it has to be produced somehow. It has to be played somehow. It has to be mm -hmm. like that, that sound actually has to be produced in physical reality. And so yes. why not like get into that, the aspect of, of, of music. That's the way I feel about it at least, which is why I like records mm -hmm. is because there's so many options for like you're saying, like how can you package it? How can you present it? How can you tell people the story of what the music is? How can you give people, because you know, if you just hear music, it may or may not resonate with you, whether it's hip hop or country or metal or whatever, you may or may not resonate with you and you may or may not be able to experience it and enjoy it just on those terms. But always behind it, there's a whole series of assumptions and a bunch of ways that the artists and the, and the people associated with the making of that music are kind of opening the door for the listener to come into that world. Certainly. And their, pers their personalities are, in, are put into that, their, their heart, their soul, their brain, everything. You know, it's like, it, it is cool to like, for me, it's cool to see a little bit more in a visual aspect to be able to, it's, it's, it's two, two senses of the human body connecting to create a, a better experience. So Absolutely. I'm a big fan. I'm glad physical media is back and I'm glad digital media is here too, though. You know, I kind of, I kind of say that I've said that a lot that I'm glad physical media is back on this podcast and I am, but I'm also very glad that digital media is a thing because it's, it's, it's been a tough road to get where we are, but I think that the combination of digital media, uh, streaming stuff and the accessibility with the physical product is allowing really cool, a really cool scene to form. Well, I think the advantage of it is that, that digital media can kind of effectively break the power of the record labels to, to a certain extent, you know, cause back in the day when it was all physical media, then the people who controlled the manufacture and distribution of that physical media essentially controlled the music. Yeah. And that, you know, a lot of great music obviously still got produced under those conditions, but a lot of corrupt, nasty, unfair shit. Oh, a lot of people got ripped off. I mean, yeah. and, like people talk about the good old days a lot. Not everything about the good old days was good. You yeah. know, there was definitely a lot of people who got screwed over and, I think that the digital age was had it presented its other set of problems. It's presented a lot of different problems for the artist because you couldn't make a buck. And, you know, and, and then when you can't make a buck, like at least some bucks off your music and you can't get signed because all the record labels are dead. So no one's there to help you. Um, it's, 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 it's really hard to keep your band together when you've got to go ask your bandmates for $600 every year to make a record or $800 to make a record because you got to handle the recording and you got to handle the, the artwork and you got to handle the fucking layouts and the physical product production. If you want to produce vinyl, forget it. Like that's like 6,000 bucks, you know? And, and it's just, it's a lot to ask your bandmates to fork out that kind of money all the time. And you just wind up having to gig really hard and save all those monies, that little morsels they throw you at the door to, you know, fund it. Whereas now, people want to buy stuff again. So you can actually build bankroll your band. Like, you know, like us, like we don't really spend a lot of money on Greyhawk anymore, which is great. You know, we basically, the band more or less pays for itself. Um, and it also allows bands to like 
you know, a little nest egg to go on tour, buy a tour van, you know, get a plane ticket to Europe. So, you know, because of that, you know, label, small labels, like ethical labels, labels that don't screw you over, labels that are run by people like Enrico from Cruz del Sur or Dave from Fighter or, you know, the guys in No Remorse or um, Shadow Kingdom or any of these really cool records that are just run by metalheads to promote that music and put it out. Um, they're all around now because they, they can viably sell shit to people. And I think it's, I think it's a really cool environment we're heading into where, you know, there's a lot of bands that can actually put up things that are very, a lot closer to their, their original artistic vision without too much interference from the label, but just a lot of help from the label to get their shit out there and reach a bigger audience. Yeah, it's kind of like we, we may be entering a real era of the best of both worlds, which is exciting. We very well might be, man. I mean, like, I, 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 for, I, for one, did not see this coming. Like, I was pretty desolate about, you know, how to make music in, um, on an independent level for a long time. And, you know, only since I got in this band did I start being like, dude, there's a way to do this. You know, I, I, I finally, like, started to see there's a way to get signed and get your music out even if it's not a huge record deal man it's like fighter records has helped us so much like you know without them we'd be not nearly as far as long as we are and i think there's a lot of bands that just even having a label attached to the record it just lends it credibility you know yeah. pick it up and it says you know waffle house records or whatever the fuck like even if you don't know who it is it's like oh damn this is this these guys are on a label that's cool you know it lends a certain amount of credibility to any release so yeah. And yeah, we, because of that, the combination of the digital medium and the physical medium, um, you're very right. We could be heading towards a best of both worlds um, case scenario, which is rad. I mean, there's so much about this world nowadays that's messed up, obviously, and so much economically and politically and environmentally that's uncertain. But it is kind of a golden age for listening to music. And it, that occurs to me, like I've got my Apple Music subscription plus YouTube so I can listen to pretty much anything in the world on my phone to at least check it out. And then I come home and I've got a record player and a bunch of records and my wife and I don't even, we don't even really have a TV. We sometimes watch it on a computer, but more often than not, if we're hanging out in the living room of an evening, we're just going to put on records and listen yeah. to it. We've got the like vinyl listening experience. And then, you know, when we want to check out a new album for the podcast or whatever, you and I can just go on here and check out a new thing and decide what we want to buy on vinyl. So it's like, we've got access to everything. And then we've also got the like specificity of getting to have the physical experience of listening to records. It's really like, yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. And you know, like for me, just, I was brewing beer in my backyard last uh, yesterday and just being able to take my phone in the backyard and get one of those tiny little Bluetooth speakers. Those things sound amazing Yeah, for, for how big they are. And they just like the fact that I could just plunk one of those on the ground and, you know, get to work and just put on some music and have it, out back in my shed um, where I'm brewing. It's awesome. You know, and it's, it, it kind of is like a golden age, you know, it's, it's cool. To, we got to like, we got to embrace everything. You know, you got to kind of gotta take everything that's out there and make it work for you. You got to embrace the physical product and make, and, and push that. And you got to embrace the digital product and push that. And, you know, like the, I'll tell you like the profit margin on a digital album sale on Bandcamp is huge. It's hundred <laughs> percent. So, you know, from, from an artist perspective, that, that, that part I really like about it. Um, yeah. And the, 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 the quality of the audio files has just gotten so much better now. Like MP3s when they, I first heard them, I'm like, that sounds so bad. Cause I'm a bit of an audio file like that. But now that the once a day, 
they're, they're pretty damn good. Yeah, man. So something yeah, I just I'm, flashed on uh, hit clips. You remember that? Yeah. For like five seconds back in like 1999, he had like one song, a tiny chip. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot <laughs> about that. Yeah, yeah there's like a little player. You like put all your chips on like a little key ring. Yeah, oh, it was man. hilarious. That I mean, was, that was a, like interesting. Sink and shit. It wasn't like you could get like, oh yeah, I've got like the new motorhead on a hit clip. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not gonna happen. And who knows, man? Maybe some band will like will 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 uh, we'll put put their shit out on hit clips at some point. Yeah, right. I don't know. But there's yeah. a, there's a time where bands were like, I remember this one band handed me a thumb drive once. Like it oh, was yeah. a thumb drive with their logo on it. And I was like, yeah, our album, our, our, our EP or our demo or whatever is on there. And I was like, neat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I right. it away. I took it home and like used it to store my shit on there. And I was like, thanks for the thumb drive. But yeah, but like without, you know, then you really don't have the album art or anything like that. Yeah. And yeah. no one cares about the digital print of the fucking album art, dude. Like no one cares. Um, so the whole like downloading and selling like phys- like digital media on some kind of physical product is if it's not a CD, if it's not playable in a device, I don't think it's really viable because streaming is just so much better. I mean, yeah. unless the internet, unless your internet goes out, then it's kind of a problem, but you know, the internet's kind of everywhere now and doesn't go up that much. So yeah, I guess the, the sum it up, man, like I think that there's a lot of interesting formats out there. Um, I'm glad that there's so many different ones and everyone's got their preference on how they consume it. I mean, I'm a, definitely a vinyl guy um, and a streaming guy, which I guess is probably the most stereotypical things you can be in 2021, but you know, it's, it's great. There's someone for every, like Jeff last week was talking about how he loves CDs the most. So, you know, it just depends on how you like to consume music and what's most convenient for you. Yeah. So pretty cool, man. Like and who knows what's next? I mean, maybe, like maybe the next thing, like those fucking someone will put out an album on like those old like piano scrolls that like oh yeah the, <laughs> the wax cylinders you know yeah the wax cylinders yeah, someone someone some hipster band will do that and then that'll be the next big rage and everyone will be or who knows maybe they'll be putting eight tracks in cars again I don't know yeah right I I went through like a little phase where I tried to uh, I found an eight track player at like the thrift store um, and I got like a number of eight tracks like everything I could find that seemed cool, like Alan Parsons project and shit like that. And um, it really didn't work. Unfortunately, <laughs> like, it sounded- I think that was the problem with them. They were glitchy. I think they sounded <laughs> good, but they were just pretty glitchy. Yeah, like, because if, if the little like reader magnet or whatever was just a little bit off, it would always play two tracks at once. And... Yeah, and then like, yeah, then it sounds like a Dead Cross album. But um, right. <laughs> then, but like, yeah, and it's just like when, when you're in the car and it's bumping over everything, like, you know, yeah. you, you can't, you have to have a sturdy, I mean, I've, I've had enough CD decks crap out of me over the years in cars just because of that. But yeah, hey man, we live in a, I guess, I guess we're probably like living in the best age ever for like different forms of music to consume. That's pretty cool. I never really thought of that. Yeah, I mean, certainly now. And, and I can tell you like as a as a classical musician, you know, a lot of that shit that was that was being made in like, you know, the 1720s or whatever, like, you know, a lot of that music that Handel wrote for the, you know, Royal British Court and stuff. Like you could only hear that if you were wealthy enough to be able to go to the theater, to be able to go to these events where the music was going to get played. And apart from that, there was nothing, you know, there was the music you made yourself and that was it. The advantage of that was that people were generally, the general population was better at making music themselves. 
Mm-hmm. That's the downside with the big with all the recordings is that people don't have as much incentive to play it themselves. True. But people always will because playing music is fucking great. Yep. So I'm not too worried about that. But it's just great to com- compared with like. I guess my, my overall point with that is just say there was a time where there was a lot of music you just literally couldn't hear unless you were in the 1%, basically. Yeah. And now pretty much everything that's ever been recording recorded is available to probably the majority of the population, at least in this country. And that's okay. pretty cool. It is. Well, I think that's a, that's a very positive note to wrap things up with. Like, yep. I feel good. <laughs> it's like, man, I live, I live in a cool time when it comes to consuming music. So... Um, yeah, well, that, that kind of wraps up our discussion. Um, once again, just want to give a shout out to Midnight Spell for the great music for us to listen to this week. Um, new album, Sky Destroyer, go out and go and grab it. Um, so yeah, we're going to sign off for this week. Um, this has been another episode of Keepers of the Flame, a classic metal podcast. Um, we will see you next Sunday for a brand new episode. We have nothing planned as of yet, but you know, we're, we are thinking of bringing on some more guests and whatnot. So, and you know what, if there's anything you guys out there who listen and want to hear from us, just shoot us a message on the Facebook page and, you know, we'll, we'll, if the idea doesn't suck, maybe we'll do it. So, yeah, I mean, typically after the episode, you know, we just kind of browse around or like brainstorm and think about what album we should do. So if anybody has any recommendations of an album that's coming out soon or that has come out that might've slipped under our radar, by all means, drop us a line. Cause we'd like to know about it. Or better yet, if you're in a band and you want us to talk about your music, let us know. Just, you know, you don't gotta give us nothing. We're not asking for a handout. Just let us know what the record is called and we'll listen to it and we'll see if it's, if it suits what we want to, what, what we, what we want to talk about. So yeah, but um, anyway, um, that's it for another week. Uh, Keepers of the flame. Uh, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Have a good work week. All right. Adios. When the-